Welcome to episode 204 of the MCU Fan Show. My name is Sean Gerber, flying solo for this episode in which I will be revisiting some marvelous moments for Loki in the Marvel Cinematic Universe to get us ready for his Disney Plus series, which debuts on Wednesday, June 9th on Disney Plus. So starting very soon, you'll hear us doing spoiler reviews episode by episode for Loki on Disney Plus. So that's coming up on the podcast. And what's also coming up, although not in June, we're thinking more end of the year, early next year, is the very first ever MCU Fan Awards. And this is a bit of an extension of a tradition we had back on the old Modern Myth Media podcast with Modern Myth Media Awards, where we highlighted some of the best work in movies that year. What's different about the MCU Fan Awards is we're looking at everything that Marvel Studios is doing these days, which includes feature films and the series, of course, that we've been loving so much on Disney+. Plus. So... Later on in the show, I am going to share the categories for the MCU Fan Awards, and I'm going to talk more about why I am announcing and sharing all of this information now, as opposed to later in the year. So you'll hear all about that later on in the podcast, breaking down what we have coming up and all the categories on the MCU Fan Awards. But before I get to that, I'm going to share a couple of podcasts that used to be exclusive on the Patreon. They are part of the Patreon-exclusive Marvelous Moments series, which you can access at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber, S-E-A-N-G-E-R-B-E-R, or just hit the link in the show notes. We have the Marvelous Moments series. It's in the $3 and up tiers on our Patreon, all of which include access to our Patreon-exclusive Discord community, by the way. But Marvelous Moments is a series where I highlight some of the best and most iconic and also just personal favorite MCU moments. And Loki has already come up a couple of times, actually three times. He came up in the most recent episode of the Marvelous Moments podcast series. But since that one's brand new, I'm going to leave it exclusive to the Patreon. But I am going back through the archives of Marvelous Moments to share a couple of other Loki scenes that I think are important and worth revisiting as we get ready to watch the Loki series on Disney+. And those moments are his arrival in Avengers, and he was, of course, burdened with glorious purpose in that moment. And that was from Marvelous Moments in September of 2020. And before that, there was a Marvelous Moments episode where I broke down the get help sequence between Thor and Loki. So there's a lot of Thor stuff in there too, but plenty of Loki material from the get help scene in Thor Ragnarok. So as I said, this Marvelous Moment series, it's all about breaking down and just really spending some time dissecting some of these amazing scenes that we have been treated to in the MCU. And Loki's had plenty, and you'll get to hear me talk about a couple of them right now, starting with that glorious purpose moment uh, with which Loki was burdened in the Avengers. Here it is. Welcome to Marvelous Moments. My name is Sean Gerber, and I have some making up to do. This episode is for September 2020. I apologize for being so late with these, but I'm getting caught up. You'll have multiple editions of Marvelous Moments in the coming week so that we can get through the September, October, and November episodes, and then we'll be ready for the December episode later this month. But for the September edition, the ninth ever episode of this Patreon-exclusive series, Marvelous Moments, 
I am going to be highlighting a scene that, let's just go ahead and call it Glorious Purpose. And this is the introduction scene for Loki in Marvel's The Avengers in 2012. And part of the reason why I wanted to highlight this particular scene, because there are certainly several scenes that I could choose from and that I eventually will get to on Marvelous Moments. There are so many iconic moments in The Avengers that I could go ahead and pick. But the reason why I'm highlighting this one first is just because, not because it's the opening scene in The Avengers, it's not about that, it's because I feel like this one is slightly overlooked, and maybe for many of you it's not overlooked at all. Maybe you've always loved this scene just as much as I do, but one of the trends I've seen, maybe it's not enough to call it a trend, but one of the arguments that I've seen out there about The Avengers over the years is that for people saying that maybe the first two acts of the film haven't aged well for them on repeat viewings, that the movie is fairly slow until we get to the Battle of New York. And I just don't agree with that. I think The Avengers has been, for me anyway, one of the most rewatchable films in the entire MCU and the entire superhero movie genre, or really regardless of genre, Avengers is a great go-to movie for me that I'm just always in the mood to watch. And usually the only reason I'm not re-watching The Avengers is because I'm re-watching another MCU film. But this film has aged very, very well for me. It still holds up and is every bit as entertaining as it ever was, starting with seeing it in theaters for the first time in 2012, if not more entertaining. And part of the reason why I disagree so much with this idea that maybe the first two acts don't hold up as well as the third act is this scene. I mean, there are plenty more scenes between this and the Battle of New York that I also love. But this introduction scene with Loki, and there's a reason I call it uh, an introduction, more on that in a bit, the reason I love this so much is because it's doing so much. Loki has that great line of when he introduces himself to Nick Fury, I am Loki of Asgard and I'm burdened with glorious purpose. This scene is burdened with glorious purpose because it has to do some big things and it has to do them in a relatively small amount of time. And it does those things so very well, thanks to some really terrific dialogue written by Joss Whedon and an outstanding performance, What Else is New, by Tom Hiddleston. But this is where I think Tom Hiddleston really came into his own as Loki. I think he was fantastic in the very first Thor movie, but he's just on another level in The Avengers, and it starts with this scene. And the reason why I consider this an introduction for Loki, even though he was in another movie prior to this, is that I think just based on the box office for most of the audience that saw The Avengers in theaters this was their first time seeing Loki because you look at one and a half billion dollars for the Avengers compared to just under $450 million worldwide for Thor. So a lot of people, and I don't think all of those people got caught up on Thor. I don't think they went back and rented Thor in the year in between that film and the Avengers hitting theaters. Not everybody was caught up. So this was an introduction. And so when I talk about this scene having to serve more than one purpose, more than one glorious purpose, it's that introduction for most of the audience, but there is still a significant chunk of the audience that did see the first Thor film. And so they already knew Loki from there. Or perhaps they also knew the character from the comic books. And so for Marvel Studios, they had to be able to build on what some of the audience had already seen while also being able to be a perfect introduction for people who had no idea who Loki was and no previous frame of reference for that character, whether that's 
in movies, comics, animation, or elsewhere. And so I think this works on both of those levels. As somebody who saw Thor and loved Loki in that film and Tom Hiddleston's performance, it was immediately apparent to me that this character had graduated to some completely different level. I mean, when we see him just kind of falling into the void at the end of the first Thor film, I know that wasn't actually our last look at Loki because we do see him in the post credit scene for Thor, but when we saw the end of his story in that first Thor film, not counting the post credit scene, he was just this sad, lost, defeated child falling into the void, and that was kind of it. And we knew because of the post credit scene that he was going to be up to something. And those of us who had been following the news at the time were obviously well aware that Loki was going to be the main villain in the first Avengers movie. So even when I remember even seeing Thor, knowing that the character was going to come back, but knowing that the character is going to come back and seeing trailers and whatever else, that's not the same as how does this feel in story? And it was really powerful in story because Loki wasn't this sad, lost child anymore. I mean, on some level, Loki is always the sad lost child, but he reached, there was something that happened. Clearly, Loki had been through some stuff, had seen some things as he talks to Thor about later on in the Avengers. He said he had grown, and I'm getting that impression in this very first scene with Loki in the Avengers because I see a character who is not hesitating. I see a character who is immediately springing to action. I mean, the first thing we get after we see him uh, coming through the, the portal that was opened by the Tesseract, we see this sinister grin all over Loki's face, and he looks more threatening just in this first glimpse of his face. He's already more threatening, I think, than he ever seemed in the first Thor film, and that's not to take anything away from Loki in that film. It just appears that this character is ready for this moment. I mean, he leaps into action. He's taking out S.H.I.E.L.D. agents very, very quickly, I know they're anonymous and he's not taking out characters whose uh, names we know or anything like that, but Loki is prepared and ready for this moment. He might be too ready for this moment. He might be too jacked up because you kind of see the adrenaline has uh, has taken over because even after he's taken out so many of these agents and nobody's firing at him anymore, he's still, uh, you could tell from his breathing, like you could tell from the look on Tom Hiddleston's face that he was so ready for this moment that he's almost not ready for this part of it, just this little step in his mission to be over. He's ready to continue the fight right then and there, and then he kind of catches himself, he composes himself, and he has this conversation with Nick Fury. But that's an important start for Loki, as we see this evil look on his face. Yes, he's the god of mischief, but this isn't really mischief on Loki's face. This is something more intense. This is something, as I said, more sinister as far as Loki's approach and where he's at mentally and emotionally in this scene and throughout this film. And I think that's a great introduction to the character as an antagonist for this movie, for the audience to see him just quickly dispatching all of these S.H.I.E.L.D. agents, taking over the mind of Clint Barton, and then holding his own in this conversation with Nick Fury. And as I said, the dialogue in this scene is great, and Tom Hiddleston's delivery makes it even better I mean, I talked about I am Loki of Asgard, I am bur- and I am burdened with glorious purpose. That one's great. But then when he says an ant has no quarrel with a boot, one of my favorite lines in the entire MCU as Loki responds to Nick Fury. Uh, but I also love the speech that Loki has as he continues on. When, after Nick Fury asks, are you planning to step on us? And Loki says, I come with glad tidings of a world made free. And Fury says, free from what? And Loki says, freedom. Freedom is life's great lie. Once you accept that in your heart, you will know peace. 
And so it's just a handful of great lines of dialogue, just one after the other for Loki in this sequence. And it's great to have that right after his lethal attack at the Project Pegasus facility, where we see that physically this character is formidable, but he's also very charismatic, very entertaining. He's an eloquent speaker in a way that maybe we haven't seen in previous comic book movie villains. I mean, Loki really sets himself apart, I think, from any other comic book movie villain that audiences had seen up until that point. And that's a lot because there are very popular comic book villains and very popular comic book movie villains who were certainly better known amongst mainstream audiences than Loki, who I think is was mostly an unknown to most of the audience. But I think that's part of the reason why audiences responded to the Avengers in the way that they did. And a counter to that point that maybe doesn't speak to how the film has aged, but certainly over that opening weekend, setting at the time a record $207 million for the opening weekend domestically, that points to a lot of people going back and seeing Avengers over and over again on that opening weekend, and not necessarily the most diehard Marvel comic book fans, certainly some of them, but I think there were a lot of general audience members who went back and saw Avengers at least a second time that weekend, and that points to the movie being highly entertaining and rewatchable throughout, and this scene deserves a lot of credit for that. I don't just think it's all about the Battle of New York. I don't just think that it's limited to Hulk smashing Loki. Audiences just loved the character of Loki, for many of them, based on this movie, because they hadn't seen Thor, and then we saw Loki's popularity explode to where Loki was perhaps arguably even more anticipated for audiences for his return in Thor The Dark World than even Thor. It would take Thor Ragnarok to get Thor on a level where he was as entertaining as Loki for a lot of the audience. Not me. I always love both of them. But Loki kind of took the lead as one of the most popular characters in the MCU following this film. And this scene plays such a huge part in that because it's such a great tone setter for Loki that this is a character that has the ability to challenge all of the Avengers. This is a formidable foe, but he's also so engaging and so charismatic that you can't take your eyes off of him. You don't necessarily want Loki's story to end. I mean, it's long been believed or thought about, rumored, whatever, that Loki originally died for real in Thor The Dark World, and then Marvel and Disney and everybody decided we need to change that because of the way audiences responded to, the, to that character in The Avengers, and I don't know if that part of it is actually true or not, but I think the point holds that Loki probably had his part expanded. That's one thing that has been fairly consistent in reshoots and everything else for Thor The Dark World. For whatever reasons, there were reshoots for Thor The Dark World beyond the usual reshoots, additional photography that Marvel always does, was expanding the role of Loki in Thor The Dark World because of the way audiences responded to the character in this film. Now, maybe Marvel already knew that audiences were going to respond to the character in this way. And so Loki's arc in the MCU was already what it was originally planned to be all along. Who really knows besides the folks at Marvel Studios who've been telling these stories for the past several years. But in the end, all that really matters is the way audiences have responded to Loki. And I think a huge part of why audiences fell in love with this character is this scene, which I think is arguably as good of a first scene as any villain has ever had in any comic book movie. It's certainly one of the best that any comic book villain, that any villain has ever had in a superhero-based movie. I know it's not his first scene in the entire story of the MCU, but it is his first scene in, in this film. 
and I think it does everything that it should do, and even more than I would expect a scene like this to accomplish, because it's not just about establishing the threat level of this character. I think it gives you a very good sense of who this character is and what he's about and how he sees himself in this scene as he sees himself as this savior, which makes it that much more twisted. I mean, we know Thanos also saw himself as a savior and had his own God complex, which we will get to in the Marvelous Moments series. But with Loki, it is this grand, almost romantic vision of it with this idea that he is liberating people from the very notion of freedom. And to expand on this just a bit, it makes you wonder why Loki feels this way. We're talking about giving more insight into the character. Not that this is something that everybody in the audience is picking up on and thinking about as they're watching the movie, but after living with this scene and watching it over and over again for the past eight and a half years now, I can't help but wonder where Loki's mental and emotional state is at this moment and why he sees this idea of freedom being life's great lie. And you could point to... Loki just having this pitiful impression of humanity. I mean, we saw that in the first Thor film, but I think it's more than that. I mentioned before how on some level, Loki is always that sad, lonely, defeated child. And maybe this is Loki's response to having felt that way. Maybe Loki is taking it upon himself to be this savior because Loki maybe for a lot of his life thought he was free and realized maybe he wouldn't. I mean, Loki discovers the shackles, the limitations, or what he perceives as the shackles, the limitations, the reason why he was never going to get to be king on Asgard unless he made it so himself because of his history, of course, being born as a frost giant, the son of King Laufey, or the biological son of King Laufey of Jotunheim. And so Loki feeling like whatever freedom he thought he had, whatever choice he thought he had, none of that was ever real. And so now he has to go ahead and he has to make his own choices, but he's going to turn it around now and decide to make choices from other people. And I also just think that for Loki, he feels like Earth is there for the taking. He wants to rule something. He didn't get to rule Asgard. Now he wants to go ahead and try and rule Midgard. But there's probably some part of Loki that deep down kind of believes this idea, or maybe it's not just a small part of him. Maybe there is a part of him that really believes Freedom is life's great lie, and he's doing something good. But we know that Loki mixes himself up with his own moral code and his own set of ethics. He doesn't really know what he believes. He is constantly in conflict with himself, which we see later on in this movie when Thor is pleading to him to just stop the madness, to just stop the attack on New York. And we see the tears in Loki's eyes where there's definitely a part of him right then and there that wants to stop, that wants to team up with his brother Thor and just get rid of this Chitari threat and give up on this whole idea of ruling Earth, but he can't let himself do that, and he continues on with the battle until he's eventually stopped. Loki's not really doubting himself here, though. At this point, he's all in, he's committed to his mission, and he's gotten it off to a great start. The movie's only minutes old, and Loki has already taken over a character who's going to become one of our original six Avengers. He's bested Nick Fury, He's retrieved the item that is the key to him achieving his end goal for this entire film. He has all of that within the opening minutes. He's lethal, he's formidable, but he's also wildly entertaining with great dialogue that is delivered with just perfect precision by Tom Hiddleston as Loki. And it's no wonder why 
people love this movie so much with the Avengers. Yes, it's great seeing all the heroes interact with one another, riffing off of one another. It's terrific watching all of that, but Loki, I think, is what makes this movie so complete. And this scene is such a perfect example of it because of Tom Hiddleston giving such a complete performance in a fairly short scene where we're getting so many different aspects of this character that lean into the things that are so much fun about the Avengers. I mean, it is the pure fun of it with how charismatic Loki is, but it's also the dramatic tension that this character delivers. It is the danger that this character presents to our heroes in this story. It's all rolled into this introduction scene for Loki in the Avengers. It is a marvelous moment because it fulfills its glorious purpose. And that was all for the Marvelous Moment podcast in September 2020. Now let's go even further back to July of 2020, in which the Marvelous Moment was Get Help from Thor Ragnarok. Welcome to Marvelous Moments for July 2020. My name is Sean Gerber. This series continues to be a favorite of mine here on the Patreon, and I thank you all for giving me the opportunity to focus on the moments that make the MCU so great. This month's selection is a moment that really elevated one Marvel movie for me, though I didn't appreciate it nearly enough on my first viewing. Thor Ragnarok was my most anticipated film of 2017, as I could not wait to see what director Taika Waititi could do in the MCU. I'd love Taika's unique sensibilities in films like Boy, What We Do in the Shadows, and Hunt for the Wilder People. His blend of absurdity and sincerity was exactly what the Thor franchise needed, and I went into Ragnarok feeling like it was going to be, without question, a top-tier MCU classic. So I saw the film for the first time, at a press screening at the AMC Century City 15 in October of 2017. I loved the movie, of course, but I came out of that first screening feeling like I didn't love it quite as much as I thought I would. I don't think it would be right to say that I was disappointed because I really enjoyed the film, and I thought it was definitely the best of Thor's solo franchise, which is saying something that's not faint praise. That's really saying something because I really like that series, particularly the first Thor solo film. And so with Ragnarok, it had a lot of what I expected Taika to bring to the table, just not everything. The humor was there, obviously, as were deeper themes about imperialism and tales of glory passed down from generation to generation to cover up an ugly, bloody history. But on first viewing, I just didn't feel all of the movie's heart, and I felt like a piece of it was missing, but I was wrong. Thor Ragnarok has all kinds of heart, particularly in one scene that, for whatever reason, I just didn't catch the full weight of it when I first saw it, and that's not the scene's fault, as it's pretty obvious what the scene is doing. I just didn't catch all of it, but I didn't miss it the second time around on opening night, and the scene just gets better and better every time I watch it, and it makes Thor Ragnarok better with each viewing, and that scene is get help, although that's the phrase that the scene is best known for, but that's not really what I'm talking about here. What I am talking about is the elevator ride that leads up to the get help gag and the conversation that continues after it. As Thor and Loki approach the elevator to the Grandmaster's ships, Thor tries to initiate a conversation with his brother, all while they continue to dispatch Sakaran guards, and Loki resists, saying that open communication was never their family's forte. Loki goes on to point out that it was Odin who brought them together, Loki and Thor, and it's almost poetic that Odin's death would split them apart, and that they might as well be strangers now, as Loki puts it, two sons of the crown set adrift, and then Thor points out that Loki, while he's saying he doesn't want to talk about it, is saying quite a bit, explaining why he doesn't want to talk about it. And so as they get onto the elevator, Loki says, here's the thing. And then he says, I'm probably better off staying here on Sakaar. 
And Thor agrees, saying, that's exactly what I was thinking. And the dialogue here, everything that I've pointed out so far and what I will continue to point out, it's all terrific and it's fairly self-explanatory. But the reason I'm pausing is to note that it's the performances that make this moment so much more than what's on the page. As you rewatch this scene, pay very close attention to just how relaxed Thor is and how sad Loki gets. Loki is completely taken aback by Thor agreeing that they should separate, and Hiddleston shows that Loki is just so hurt by this. Loki, after being taken aback, and he pauses for a moment, he says, or he asks Thor, did you just agree with me? And then Thor responds, come on, this place is perfect for you. It's savage, chaotic, lawless. Brother, you're going to do great here. And then Loki asks, do you truly think so little of me? Thor responds, Loki, I thought the world of you. I thought we were going to fight side by side forever, but at the end of the day, you're you and I'm me. I don't know, maybe there's still good in you, but let's be honest, our paths diverged a long time ago. Now, as Thor says this, watch as Loki takes a deep breath and the corners of his mouth just curl downward. He is so sad. This is crushing him, but he's not going to let on that he's hurt. So then Loki just responds, yeah, it's probably for the best that we never see each other again, hoping that Thor is going to reach out and try to keep Loki around, but that's not what happens. Thor just acknowledges, that's what you always wanted. And so then Loki, as he just continues to be so sad about this, Thor gives him a pat on the back before Thor suggests the get help idea for being able to secure one of the Grandmaster's ships. Now, this isn't a long conversation. And it takes place right before a memorable gag. And it just might be remembered better for that punchier get help phrase. But emotionally, this sequence, including the conversation that follows the get help gag, it might be the best scene in all of Thor Ragnarok. It is a pivotal moment for both of these characters. Thor has tried to reach Loki so many times in so many ways. And this is the first time it actually worked. Think about all the times that Thor has tried to get Loki on a path to redemption. How many times Thor has tried to get Loki to be better. Thor has fought his brother. He's shouted at Loki in anger. He's pleaded with him. He's threatened him. And Thor's even hit Loki with what is essentially an I'm not mad, just disappointed speech earlier in this film when ghost Loki visits Thor in the weird freaky circle cell that Thor is in before he fights Hulk. None of that worked. Thor came pretty close in the Battle of New York, pleading with Loki, and even brought a tear to Loki's eye, but Loki couldn't stop that madness in the Battle of New York. He still ultimately made a choice to continue on with his plan to take over Earth and continue fighting his brother Thor, and this is a point where the strategy that Thor employs here, his approach, is so completely different, and it finally works, and I think it's, it illustrates something that Thor has realized here at this point not just in this film, but in their entire relationship between Thor and Loki and Thor's own journey throughout the MCU that we've seen, what Thor has finally come to accept is the reality that people can't change because you want them to. They'll only change if or when they want to. Thor's anger and disappointment didn't hurt Loki, or at least didn't affect Loki enough. It was Thor's acceptance of Loki that really stung. Thor has called Loki out many, many times for Loki's bad behavior. All Loki would do, though, in all those previous instances, is respond defensively. It wasn't Loki's fault. He deserved better. All the things that Loki felt he was entitled to and didn't get, 
and Loki was well within his rights to take by any means necessary those things that he felt he was entitled to, and he could do that at anyone's expense, even his own family. And for Thor, by accepting who Loki was, Thor took away Loki's power to be defensive. Thor didn't criticize Loki directly. He actually took Loki out of it by dispassionately describing Sakaar as savage, chaotic, and lawless. So sure, while Thor said that such a place is perfect for Loki, he didn't say it with anger or disappointment, and Loki couldn't really consider that a petty insult, considering that it was Loki himself who had just said he was better off staying on Sakaar. Thor removed confrontation from the equation, leaving Loki only with an honest assessment of who he was based on an environment in which Loki would flourish. And just in case Loki still thinks this is about the past, Thor gets to say how much he loved Loki, how highly he thought of his brother, what he thought their lives would be together. Thor's just done fighting with Loki about this. If this is who you want to be, Loki, then by all means, go your own way. I love you, but I'm done with this game. And so as they exit the elevator and do the get help bit, that's where we see Loki have his last act of resistance to what's happening here with Thor. So Loki is realizing what's happening. He is being affected emotionally by what's happening in this conversation on the elevator. But Loki still has one last betrayal up his sleeve. And is Thor really done with this game? Loki is about to find out. He tries to betray Thor by sounding the alarm so that Thor will not be able to get away with one of the Grandmaster's ships. But Thor doesn't play. Yes, he stops Loki's betrayal because Thor saw it coming and he put the obedience disc on Loki so that way he could stop Loki from sounding the alarm. So Thor saw what was going to happen and he prevented the betrayal, but it's still not playing the game because all Thor did was make sure that Loki couldn't stop the mission to save Asgard. Where Thor breaks the cycle is the way he responds to the betrayal because he responds with the same genuine indifference that he expressed during the elevator conversation. Look at Chris Hemsworth's performance here. There's not an ounce of anger in his body. He's not bothered by Loki basically being Loki. Thor is not going to continue to be hurt by this or angered by this. He really doesn't expect anything different from his brother at this point, so he's not going to keep worrying about it. And Thor just says to his brother, Oh, dear brother, you're becoming predictable. I trust you. You betray me. Round and round in circles we go. See, Loki, life is about, it's about growth. It's about change. But you seem to just want to stay the same. I guess what I'm trying to say is that you'll always be the god of mischief, but you could be more. And that's it. Thor leaves, not in anger, but with a smile and wishing his brother well, because Thor's done begging Loki to change. Thor loves his brother and has done all that he can to help save his brother, but now it's time for Loki to do his part. And if he won't, then they really are better off not being around each other, and Thor can live with that. Thor still hopes that Loki will change, however, but not for Thor's sake, not even for the universe's sake or Asgard's sake, but for Loki's sake. Loki can be more, but only if Loki wants to be. And Loki is more from that point forward. Instead of using a Sakaran revolution to seize power from the Grand Master, Loki grabs a ship and leads a small army, including Korg, to help the Revengers save Asgard. And we never see Loki after this moment. We never see Loki betray Thor again. Yes, Loki grabbed the Tesseract and he failed to tell Thor about it, but he didn't use the Tesseract against Thor. And then when we look at in this timeline, not the endgame timeline where he escapes with the Tesseract, in this timeline, 
Loki's final act is in defense of his brother. Loki even had an opportunity to let Thor die at the hands of Thanos, but he couldn't because he had become more. And while Loki has done too many awful things to truly make up for all of it, in this grand epic setting of gods that live 5,000 years, he at least planted both of his feet on the road to redemption before he perished. And this elevator conversation and the conversation that follows in Thor Ragnarok is not what pushed him in that direction, but rather inspired him to move in that direction on his own. And so that's a lot of very powerful, meaningful stuff for Loki. And then there's Thor. And what a terrific scene this is for Thor independently, and not just with respect to his relationship with his brother. Thor seeing and speaking to the value of growth and change is him recognizing his own journey. Maybe he even remembers how he was during the events of the first Thor film when he needed to change, and nobody could make him do it. Just because Odin banished him to Earth does not mean that Thor automatically changed. Thor could have his flaws pointed out to him, but it was him. He had to decide to do something about them for himself. And Thor has grown so much at this point in Ragnarok in the MCU, and he knows how much it's helped him and how much it will still help him. And he wants that for Loki, but Loki has to get it for himself. Personal growth requires the willingness of the person who needs to grow. And Thor's willingness to break from the cycle of betrayal is also huge for him. He's growing here because he's willing to move on from a toxic family relationship. He loves his brother, but that doesn't mean Thor has to give Loki unlimited opportunities to hurt him or anyone else. Thor will always accept Loki either as the god of mischief, who lives a separate life away from Thor, or as something more, a person who is evolving into something good so that Loki and Thor can once again be side by side and enjoy the relationship that Thor had dreamed of having with his brother. And the change that we see from Thor here is even more evident when we see how Thor handles Hela later on in the film. Asgard, as we know, full of Shakespearean drama, lies and betrayals are just woven into the history of Thor and his family. He doesn't deny that, but he's not going to let that overshadow what is right and what is wrong and what should be expected of a decent person or a decent god. So when Thor engages Hela, he does it quite differently than he's previously engaged Loki. And I don't think that's just because Thor never really knew Hela. I don't think it's just because their relationship isn't the same. Thor recognizes that Hela's been slighted, just like Loki was in certain ways. Thor recognizes that Hela's been slighted. She has a birthright to the throne, but it doesn't matter because, as he puts it, she's just the worst. Or at the very least, her intentions are the worst. And so Thor stops her, and he does so without wrestling with any of the guilt that's weighed him down in his confrontations with Loki. He does feel a sense of responsibility about Asgard. He wants to save Asgard, but he's not really worried about anything that Hela is owed or feeling bad because of anything that Odin did to Hela or anything like that. She's wrong and she has to be, she's an imminent threat and she has to be stopped. And so Thor goes ahead and he engages with her on that level and he stops her. And so in the end, Thor's siblings are responsible for themselves and their choices, and he sees that. Thor is ready to help them make better ones, but he's done feeling guilty when they don't. All of that growth for Thor is firmly established in the Get Help sequence, or in the conversation around the Get Help sequence in Thor Ragnarok. And as well as it works, as wonderful as it is for Thor and Loki, that in and of itself is more than enough to make this a marvelous moment, but it continues to work on another level. When we look at what it means for the franchise, I mean, 
This, in some ways, as much as valuable as it is for the characters, this is also, I think, Taika and the Thor franchise in general, and, and Kevin Feige and Marvel Studios just being self-aware of where this franchise has been and maybe calling themselves out a little bit in that there has been a little bit of a cycle here and that the Thor franchise and the whole Thor-Loki dynamic has just been this cycle of trust-betrayal. Thor trusts Loki, then Loki betrays Thor, and round and round we go. And I think what we're going to see going forward now in the Thor franchise is I don't think we're going to see that happen again, even if the Loki from the alternate timeline who's going to be in the Disney Plus series finds his way into the MCU prime timeline with that Thor, I don't think we're going to go back through the cycle of betrayal. I think that's done because I think this is the Thor franchise wanting to graduate from that, wanting to move beyond that. Not that it hasn't been great and not that it hasn't been entertaining and emotionally moving. It has been, but we've been through it all and it's time to move on. And so Thor needs to move on. Loki needs to move on. They do, and we as an audience, we need to move on from it and go into new territory with these characters. And we started doing that, of course, in Infinity War and Endgame, and we will see it again in Thor Love and Thunder, presumably. And I don't even know if Loki's going to be there in Thor Love and Thunder. That part remains to be seen. But either way, we can certainly expect to see Thor continue on with his own personal growth in his own journey. And another level in which this works, although I think it's pretty clear in just going through what the characters are learning, these are lessons that not only apply to them, but also apply to us in some very real-life ways. And so we can speak with one another, as we see with Thor here in this elevator conversation, we can speak with one another in a calm, rational manner, identifying ways in which we can grow to be better individuals and better members of a family and or community, and we might just have better luck reaching others or being reached when reason and acceptance are offered in place of anger. And furthermore, love and acceptance do not mean continuing to place ourselves in the companies of those who harm us or harm others. We can accept good or bad and distance ourselves from the latter when it's necessary. Love can always remain, however. It can be the hand that reaches out to embrace those who are ready and want to change for the better, even if that's us, should we find ourselves lost and need help making our way back. After all, as much as Thor had grown in Ragnarok, his old flaws would come back to haunt him in new ways in Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame, but that's another marvelous moment for another time. I hope you enjoyed this month's marvelous moment, and with any luck, hopefully, your own love and appreciation of Thor Ragnarok grew just a bit today. If not, well, I tried my best. Okay, back with you now in the present day. Hopefully you enjoyed those episodes of Marvelous Moments, and if you did, there are more of them at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber, S-E-A-N-G-E-R-B-E-R, or just hit the link in the show notes, including a brand new Marvelous Moment episode dedicated to Loki talking about his tell-me moment from the very first Thor film, in 2011 that was the may 2021 edition of marvelous moments it is available now on our patreon and now as promised i want to talk about the mcu fan awards and the reason i want to talk about this now is not because these awards are imminent it's not going to be until this year is through but i want to take the time to introduce you to the categories that we have for the MCU Fan Awards. And the reason I want to do that now is because then you can actually keep these categories in mind 
as you are watching new episodes of Marvel Studios series on Disney Plus or brand new Marvel Studios movies this year. Yes, if I was better at planning, I would have announced these categories for all of you before you even sat down and started watching WandaVision this year. So apologies for that, but I'm pretty sure most, if not all of you, were planning on rewatching WandaVision and The Falcon and the Winter Soldier anyway. So when you go back and rewatch those series, and as you watch upcoming series and films like Loki and Black Widow and What If, although I don't know how much What If will factor into the awards, it is a lock to win Best Animated Series, should there be such a category. But as you're watching Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings and Eternals on the feature film side, Disney Plus live action series, we still have Miss Marvel and Hawkeye that are still expected to be on Disney Plus before this year is through. As you're watching the new films and series and going back and re-watching WandaVision and The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, it's worth keeping these categories in mind, although... It's also worth keeping in mind other potential categories that may come up because just because I'm announcing a list of categories right now doesn't mean it's final. Other ideas, of course, could come up. You may even have some ideas and there are places you can share them. If you have ideas for other categories, it doesn't mean we're going to add a bunch of other categories, but we are open to suggestions. And so if you have any, you can share them on social media, at MCU Fan Show, on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. You could also leave a suggestion if you're taking the time to, and we would appreciate you for doing so, if you're already taking the time to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and you throw in a topic suggestion there, that's just another place that I would see it. And of course, we have our Patreon-exclusive Discord community where we're talking Marvel all the time, and so you could throw out suggestions there as well if you so choose, and we'll see what the final list of categories will ultimately be by the time we get to the awards, perhaps at the end of the year, although more likely the beginning of next year, early 2022 is when we would likely have the MCU Fan Awards for 2021, just to give enough time to fully and fairly consider Spider-Man No Way Home, which only comes out a couple weeks before the end of the year, and perhaps a Marvel Studios 2021 Disney Plus series like Hawkeye or Miss Marvel, they could one of those could perhaps start in late 2021, but not be able to air its final episode until 2022. If it starts in 2021, though, we would consider it as part of this year, and we would go ahead and wait until that series is completed before having the MCU Fan Awards. But now, without any further delay, let me go through the categories that we have right now. There are more that could potentially be added to this list, but this is the list of categories as of today, and we are going to kick things off with the Real MVP Award. This is a personal favorite of mine. This is a category not designed for the actual MVP of a Marvel Studios series or film, and most of these categories, by the way, they cover the series and the films. They are all grouped together unless specified. So there are some where I'll call out as in a series or in a film, but for the most part, they are grouped, including the real MVP award. And so, as I said, not designed for the actual MVP. We all know that Wanda Maximoff is the actual MVP of a series like WandaVision, but the real MVP is just someone who comes through in the clutch, a role player who maybe just delivers 
a couple laughs here and there. And it doesn't necessarily have to be comedic, but it can be. And certainly it is in the case of David Lengel, whom I consider a very strong contender for the real MVP award. David Lengel, of course, played Harold Proctor, or as we knew him better inside the hex, Phil Jones in WandaVision, a key player delivering some great sitcom laughs in just a few spots, in just the few spots that he was given, a pinch hitter who got on base every single time he stepped up to the plate. So David Lengel, I think, a strong contender for the real MVP award, but this is something, a category that is certainly open to interpretation, and we'll see what your suggestions are as the year goes on. And we'll be talking about these categories on the Discord all year long. So that's another place where we can look at and start discussing who the potential nominees might need to be in these categories. We have two categories for character design. You know we're big fans on the MCU Fan Show of the Marvel Studios Visual Development Department and all the work that they do and working with the costume designers on Marvel Studios series and films. And together, all of those artists create some really terrific designs that make these characters we love so much really shine on screen. And so that's why we have two different categories for character design. We have best new character design. So maybe that's Agatha Harkness in WandaVision. Maybe it's Taskmaster in Black Widow. Certainly a lot of contenders in Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings, and so many character designs, so many brand new character designs in The Eternals. So this will be a very competitive category, but it's not the only one that we have for character design. We have best character redesign, and this is for existing characters. So people who are getting new costumes or who already got new costumes in 2021. Sam Wilson going from Falcon to Captain America in the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, or Wanda Maximoff finally getting a Scarlet Witch costume in WandaVision. That's what we would be looking at in that category. Also, White Vision. I know he's technically a new character, but still based on the original design of Vision in the MCU. So putting that one in the redesign category. Next category that we want you to be thinking about is most inspiring moment, which I think is pretty self-explanatory. Whatever moment inspires you in the MCU this year. And there's a strong contender right away that I think would immediately come to mind for many of us. Sam's first speech as Captain America in The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, but also Monica Rambeau's superhero origin going back into the hex in WandaVision would certainly be a moment to consider as perhaps the most inspiring in the MCU this year. One of the most inspiring, perhaps, to be on the list of nominees. We're also going to be looking for the funniest moment in the MCU this year. So whichever one made you laugh the hardest, or even if it wasn't the one that was the most laugh-out-loud funny, for whatever reason you considered it the funniest moment, or you just thought it was the best written joke or best delivered quip that we got in the MCU this year, that's where you would look at it is in the funniest moment category. We are also going to have a category for best original song. Unofficially in 2021, this will likely be known as the WandaVision category with all of those theme songs, whether it's Agatha all along, let's keep it going, making it up as we go along. We got something cooking. You remember all the theme songs from WandaVision. And if we're going to have best original song, you know we're also going to have best score. And this is not being separated. 
between series and films. It is still a combined category. We are also going to be looking at the best battle in a Marvel Studios or MCU story this year, be it a series or a film. So we've had a couple of those, a couple of contenders already between WandaVision and the Falcon Winter Soldier. But I think as usual, uh, this is would normally be a very competitive list anyway for Marvel Studios movies. But when we have so many movies and series still on the way this year, there's a potential that th- there is the potential that this category will be expanded. But for right now, we have the one best battle category. Another category that I am very excited about this year is the rookie of the year category. So we're looking at people who made their debut in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and it may not necessarily be a character debut. It could be an actor debut. For example, even though Monica Rambeau has appeared in the MCU and Captain Marvel in 2019, we saw her as an adult for the first time this year in WandaVision, which brought us the acting MCU debut of Tiana Paris in that role. And she immediately set the bar very high for a category that is sure to be one of the most competitive for this entire year because Tiana Paris feels like someone who just has to be on that list of nominees by the time we get to the end of the year and maybe a favorite to win it. But there are more contenders to consider that we anticipate being on that list. Florence Pugh as Yelena Belova in Black Widow. Simu Liu as Shang-Chi, Iman Vellani as Kamala Khan, Miss Marvel, Haley Steinfeld as Kate Bishop in the Hawkeye Disney Plus series, and all of those incredible actors in that phenomenal cast in Eternals, all potential contenders for the Rookie of the Year category. This one is going to be stacked. I don't even know how we would be able to whittle it down to a list of nominees if these performances are as good as we anticipate. Next, we have the Best Supporting Villain category, shining a light on the villains who don't get to be the top antagonists in a movie or series, but they're still worthy of recognition. Yes, we look at lead antagonists like Katherine Hahn's Agatha Harkness in WandaVision, but there are other key role players along the way and secondary or supporting antagonists in Marvel Studios movies and now series and the performances deserve to be recognized. So if we're just looking at the contenders we've seen early on, although this is a list that is certainly subject to change as we get more and more projects, more and more stories uh, that we get a chance to see throughout the year, maybe it's George St. Pierre who returned as Batrock in The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, or even Evan Peters in WandaVision would qualify as a supporting villain. Josh Stamberg as Hayward in WandaVision could be a potential uh, contender or potential nominee by the end of the year for Best Supporting Villain. And with supporting performances in mind, this is the first spot where you are going to see the categories split between feature films and series because in our acting categories, they are not going to be gender specific. We will not have Best Actor or Best Actress categories We are just looking at the performances and the actors are all competing against each other. Not that this is really a competition. This is all just for fun and none of them will ever know that the MCU Fan Awards exist. But in the supporting and lead categories for acting, we have them split 
between films and series, not for villains, because that would be a smaller list and certainly not for supporting villains, but for best supporting performance, we will have best supporting performance in a series. So maybe that's Tiana Paris in WandaVision or Carl Lumley in The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. We're also going to have best supporting performance in a film. I don't know what an example would be just yet because we don't have any contenders. We haven't seen any Marvel Studios movies as of yet this year, but maybe that'll be Florence Pugh in Black Widow, might be Aquafina in Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings, could be a member of the Eternals ensemble who isn't quite a lead because they can't all be the lead in a movie with a cast that big. So it will be a very competitive category once we start seeing who the potential nominees might be for best supporting performance in a film. Then we have another acting category. This one is not split. We're going to be looking at the best villain. So not just the supporting villain, but the best villain or lead antagonist. And that is in a film or series. And the reason we're not splitting up that category is because if you have five nominees in a category, well, we've got four Marvel Studios movies this year. So that would mean every lead antagonist is going to be nominated. And with a handful of series, pretty much every lead antagonist in every series would be nominated. So in the spirit of competition, one best villain category. So contenders already, maybe it's Katherine Hahn for her performance as Agatha Harkness in WandaVision. Maybe you're thinking more Wyatt Russell as John Walker in The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. If you really define him as a lead antagonist in some of those definitions, may vary from fan to fan. So it'll be exciting to see where we end up with with our final list of nominees in the best villain category. We're also going to have a category that is specific to the Marvel Studios series. We're going to be looking for the best episode of a Marvel Studios series this year. I know perhaps the favorite right now could be previously on episode eight of WandaVision, but there are plenty of contenders within that series as well as The Falcon and The Winter Soldier. We're also going to be looking for in our acting categories where things are going to be split. We did that for best supporting performance. We're doing that again for best leading performance. So best leading performance in a series. Maybe that's Elizabeth Olsen for WandaVision or Anthony Mackie for The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. It could also be because in those series we had characters sharing top billing. So maybe you consider Paul Bettany's performance in WandaVision a lead performance, although that might be one where there's a debate between lead versus supporting. Could also have that debate with Sebastian Stan in The Falcon and The Winter Soldier. So not sure where that's going to end up. It'll be a conversation we have to have throughout the year, but we will be deciding on the best leading performance in a series. We will also decide on the best leading performance in a film. So that's where Scarlett Johansson as Black Widow could factor in Simu Liu as Shang-Chi in Shang-Chi and Legend of the Ten Rings. Maybe Gemma Chan as Cersei in The Eternals. Tom Holland, of course, would be a favorite as Spider-Man based on his previous work in the MCU. And while we're looking at the best performances within these films and series, we also just need to look at overall, what's the best Marvel Studios series of 2021? And it's already a close competition, I think, between WandaVision and The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, they would both be worthy winners. They wouldn't be mad at either one of them being the top choice, but the choice isn't that simple. It won't just be between those two. I think that Miss Marvel and Hawkeye have the ability to make that choice 
even more difficult. And we could see what if, even factor into that equation, what if would be eligible? I know it's anthology and I know that it's not the main prime MCU timeline canon and all of that, but it's still a Marvel Studios Disney Plus series, which means it is in contention for this best series category. And if we're talking about the best series, then yes, we're also going to talk about the best Marvel Studios feature film. And admittedly, we already know the list for this category, and we kind of know the list for the best series category, although maybe we won't go five nominees deep for the best series category, and we can't go five nominees deep for the best feature film category because there are four Marvel Studios movies this year. So the contenders are obvious. Black Widow, Shang-Chi and Legend of the Ten Rings, Eternals, and Spider-Man No Way Home. But even though there might be some by default nominations for feature films and series, it doesn't end there. We will be talking about and deciding on the best MCU story of 2021. So that is where the series and feature films will all be in competition to decide between movies and series what was the best MCU story that we got to see in 2021. So that would be the grand finale category in most instances, but it's not here because there is an award that was initially introduced during the Modern Myth Media Awards that we used to have back in the days of the Modern Myth Media podcast, and that is the John Beerley Politeness Award in honor of the late, great John Beerley, a dear friend to Paul and myself and those of us who used to be on the Modern Myth Media podcast and a bunch of other podcasts over the years, and of course, a friendship that went well beyond the conversations that were recorded and shared with the rest of the world. I know we have a lot of newer listeners over the past year or so who maybe don't know who John Beerley was. You can hear him on our Avengers Endgame spoiler review. He joined Paul and I for that. You can hear some of his work and our tribute to him in an episode that we recorded last year after John passed away. But John was just the night he was known for just how nice and kind and polite he was, which is why the John Beardley Politeness Award became a thing on the Modern Myth Media podcast and the Modern Myth Media Awards that we were doing on that podcast for a while. And so we're going to keep that award going on the MCU Fan Awards. And this is a category that recognizes the acts of kindness in the MCU. And it doesn't necessarily have to be because anything is potentially an act of kindness. The Saving the world can be an act of kindness, but it doesn't have to be the big things that we see with all of the world or the universe at stake in an MCU story. It could just be a simple act of kindness or just being polite from one character to another. A great example might be if you think about when Scott Lang lost his tacos in Avengers Endgame and Hulk offered up his tacos to Scott Lang uh, as Hulk was going to make his way to new Asgard, a simple, polite act such as that would qualify for the John Beerley Politeness Award. So as you see those simple and maybe even bigger acts of kindness in MCU stories this year, keep those in mind as contenders for the John Beerley Politeness Award. So those are the categories that we have right now. But as I said at the start of all of this, it is not 
the final list of categories. There are more that can be added. I don't really see any of these categories going away. Maybe they are modified slightly, but I would be willing to bet that most, if not all of these categories are gonna be there at the end of the year, but perhaps these awards will expand and there will be additional categories. Perhaps I'll think of a few more. Perhaps Paul will dream up a few more, or maybe you will in the conversations we have on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook at MCU Fan Show, on our Patreon exclusive Discord, which you can sign up for by joining our Patreon, patreon.com slash Sean Gerber. Or as I said, maybe I'll see a category suggestion in a review on Apple Podcasts, which as I said, I would definitely notice it if there was one that appeared there. And that is where I'm going to go ahead and wrap up this edition of the MCU Fan Show, but not without saying thank you to Richard O for being the latest patron over at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber, where we have that Patreon-exclusive Discord community and also exclusive podcasts that are not available anywhere else, like the Marvelous Moments series, two examples of which you heard on this edition of the MCU Fan Show. So for more information on that, patreon.com slash Sean Gerber, hit the link in the show notes. I'm sure most of you know the drill by now, but you can also follow us in all those places I mentioned before on social media, and that's where you can reach out with potential categories. We are at MCU Fan Show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you would like to follow me on social media, I am at Mr. Sean Gerber on Instagram and Twitter. So for MCU Fan Show, I'm Sean. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time as we start our spoiler review series for Loki on Disney+. Take care.